green pastures. I know you're picturing lush fields of belly deep alfalfa as far as the eye can see. Well, get that picture out of your mind. Instead, see clumps of green along the arid landscape of the Negev Desert in Israel. That's more the biblical reality. And that's what our heart is for our weekly Green Pastures devotions published by Vineyard Boise. Our hope is that each day you'll find a wee clump of green along the all-too-often arid landscape of life, just enough to sustain you, to keep you moving forward. Each daily devotion consists of four strands, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. May the Lord lead us together into the green pastures we need today to continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Green Pastures for Monday, January 9th. Still more of that wretched fish. Today's scripture reading is found in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16 from the message translation, which reads, One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. But God sent a huge storm at sea, the waves towering. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. The captain came to him and said, "'What's this? Sleeping? Get up, pray to your god. Maybe your God will see we're in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one another, Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on this ship who's responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws. Jonah got the short straw. Then they grilled him. Confess, why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I am a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven, who made sea and land. At that, the men were frightened, really frightened, and said, What on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. They said to him, What are we going to do with you to get rid of this storm? By this time, the sea was wild, totally out of control. Jonah said, Throw me overboard into the sea. Then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me, and you'll get rid of the storm. But no, the men tried rowing back to shore. They made no headway. The storm got only worse and worse, wild and raging. Then they prayed to God. Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life, and don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. Immediately, the sea was quieted down. The sailors were impressed, no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. They worshipped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. This is God's Word. It was more than 15 years ago that I entered the laboratory of Professor Agassiz and told him I had enrolled my name in the scientific school 
as a student of natural history. He asked me a few questions about my object in coming, my antecedents generally, and the mode in which I afterwards proposed to use the knowledge I might acquire, and finally, whether I wished to study any special branch. To the latter, I replied that while I wished to be well grounded in all departments of zoology, I purported to devote myself especially to insects. When do you wish to begin? He asked. Now, I replied. This seemed to please him, and with an energetic, very well. He took from a shelf a huge jar of specimens in yellow alcohol. Take this fish, he said, and look at it. We call it a hymalon. By and by, I will ask what you have seen. In ten minutes, I had seen all that could be seen in that fish and started in search of the professor, who had, however, left the museum. And when I returned, after lingering over some of the odd animals stored in the upper apartment, my specimen was dry all over. I dashed the fluid over the fish as if to resuscitate the beast from a fainting fit and looked with anxiety for a return of the normal sloppy appearance. This little excitement over, nothing was to be done but to return to a steadfast gaze at my mute companion. Half an hour passes, an hour, another hour. The fish began to look loathsome. I turned it over and around. I looked it in the face, ghastly, from behind, beneath, above, sideways, at a three-quarters view, just as ghastly. I was in despair. At an early hour, I concluded that lunch was necessary, so with infinite relief, the fish was carefully replaced in the jar, and for an hour, I was free. On my return, I learned that Professor Agassiz had been at the museum, but had gone and would not return for several hours. My fellow students were too busy to be disturbed by continued conversation. Slowly, I drew forth that hideous fish, and with a feeling of desperation again, looked at it. I might not use a magnifying glass. Instruments of all kinds were interdicted. My two hands, my two eyes, and the fish. It seemed a most limited field. I pushed my fingers down its throat to feel how sharp the teeth were. I began to count the scales and the different rows until I was convinced that that was nonsense. At last, a happy thought struck me. I would draw the fish. And now, with surprise, I began to discover new features in the creature. Just then, the professor returned. That is right, said he. A pencil is one of the best eyes. I am glad to notice, too, that you keep your specimen wet and your bottle corked. With these encouraging words, he added, Well, what is it like? He listened attentively to my brief rehearsal of the structure of parts whose names were still unknowns to me. The fringed gill arches and movable operculum, the pores of the head, fleshy lips and lidless eyes, the lateral line, the spinous fins and forked tails, the compressed and arched body. When I finished, he waited as if expecting more, and then with an air of disappointment. You have not looked very carefully. Why, he continued more earnestly, you haven't even seen one of the most conspicuous features of the animal, which is plainly before your eyes as the fish itself. Look again, look again. And he left me to my misery. I was piqued, I was mortified, still more of that wretched fish. But now I set myself to my task with a will and discovered one new thing after another until I saw how just the professor's criticism had been. 
The afternoon passed quickly, and when toward its close, the professor inquired, Do you see it yet? No, I replied, I am certain I do not, but I see how little I saw before. I've shared this story before. It's called In the Laboratory with Professor Agassiz, first published by Samuel Scudder in 1974. It's a classic portrait of the painstaking art of observation in any field of endeavor, but especially in our reading and observation of the ageless great fish tale of Jonah's story. So it seems really appropriate to bring it out again and again and again. I promise I'm not going to do this to you every day this week. I'm not quite that mean. Well, mostly. But each week in this journey through Jonah, I will bring out that wretched fish again by simply reading the current page that we're on with this reflection space open for you to see what you see. So look at your fish. What stands out? What repeated words or lines do you notice in this first page of the Jonah story? What questions does this reading raise for you? Where do you see yourself in this unfolding story? Look at your fish. See what emerges. So as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder, having read through this page a time or two now, what do you see? How do you sense the Lord nudging you, the Spirit summoning you? And how are you being challenged to really see in the way of Professor Agassiz? Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear this story of the prophet who ran, the God who chased him down with a storm, the sailors who displayed faith, compassion, and concern where we would expect none the reluctant prophet who hid below deck and ultimately yielded himself to the waves. Yes, please let me hear your voice and see the lessons you would teach in each line as this story unfolds. And please keep bringing me back to where I need to get started again and again and again. Amen. Amen.